Our passage today is Matthew chapter 6. If you're using one of the blue Bibles from the center of the table, it's page 900. Looks like most people are already there. It's awesome. Next week, we are going to be in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. Next week, we're going to do something a little bit different. You'll get to see more and hear more about that next week. I look forward to it. It's going to be a good day. The Lord is going to challenge us in a special way. So our passage next week is Luke 2, 1 through 20. Write that down. Go home. Read that story. Read it with your family this week. It's just a Christmas story. Shepherds and all. So today is the fourth Sunday of Advent. We've learned that Advent is a season that Christians have celebrated for centuries. It's the begins four Sundays before Christmas Day, which is December 25th, as we all know. And so this is the fourth Sunday of Advent. And it's been common for Christians throughout centuries to just kind of take these four weeks and to acknowledge where we are in history. Where are we in God's plan? And that is, we're between the first and the second coming of Jesus. Before Jesus came the first time, there were all kinds of promises that God was going to send a Messiah to come and to do all kinds of incredible things on this earth. And they were looking for him to come one time and do it all. Well, he came and he did a lot of it, but he didn't do it all. But while he was here the first time, he said, I'm going to leave and come back to you a second time. So Jesus fulfilled many of God's promises, but there's still more work for Jesus to do. And we're looking forward to him coming back. So far in these four weeks, as we've been in Matthew chapter 6, we're learning how to pray and we're learning how to live between the first and the second coming of Jesus. We're learning what our responsibility is. And and, and we're doing this by examining a prayer that Jesus taught his disciples how to pray and it's found in Matthew chapter 6. The first week we looked at the right way to pray and some wrong ways to pray. We've also seen that God teaches us to pray with the view of others in mind. This is not an individualistic faith that we've been called to where it's just you and, you and your best friend, Jesus. Okay, there's more to our faith than that because God has placed us in a family. And in that family, we see that God is our Father. We see that God wants to show His name holy. That's what it means to when we say, Hallowed be your name. We see also that God is setting up a kingdom. And just realizing that and the implications of that will help us live our lives the way God wants us to. And last week, we saw that the king always provides. This week, we're going to learn about what the king does with sin. We're going to learn what the king does with our sin. Past sin, present sin, and the sin that we are yet to commit and the sin that is yet to be committed against us. Because the world's an awful place, isn't it? And we, yeah, we're church people. We, we do the best we can to not sin, but we still struggle with it, don't we? Amen. We still could love God much better than we do. And it hurts us and it upsets us when we don't, Amen. right? And we're, we're also hurt by others. And so how do we handle all that? And how do we talk to God in light of that fact that there's sin that still dwells within us and that we live in a messed up, screwed up, broken world? And that's all our fault. How do we live in light of all of that? Well, that's where we're going today. 
I'm going to read. We're going to be uh, Matthew 6, verse 12 through 15. Follow along with me if you would. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. What we're going to do is we want y'all to spend four or five minutes, read this over to yourself. You can read this ten times probably in the next five minutes, right? Meditate on it. See what God says to you about it. And in a few minutes, uh, we'll start the discussion. And uh, um, it'll be your chance to share what you see in the Bible and to also ask any questions that you may have. So may the Lord bless this time as we dig into his word. Today we learn how to talk to God about our sin. 1 John chapter 1 says, if there's anybody out there who says he has no sin, he has deceived himself, and he's a liar. So today we're going to learn how to pray about our sin, and we're going to learn how to pray about the sin of others. Now, maybe you're here today and you think sin is a funny idea, or that it's just a bunch of religious mumbo-jumbo, and, you know... There's no such thing. If that's where you're at today, I want you to do something for me as you prepare to listen for this next little bit that I share. I just want you to consider all the evil and horrible and awful things that take place in our world. So when I say sin, that's what I want you to think of. If you don't like the word sin, just think about all the evil, awful things that have take place in this world. Think about the bad stuff that's been done to you. Think about the bad stuff you've done to other people. But I believe there's sin. I believe this is God's world. I believe he's given you the air in your lungs right now. And in any moment, should he choose to take it away, you would be gone in a moment. And every single moment is a gift from a merciful king. Everything comes from God. And in this world, there's a design. There's a plan. There's a purpose. And God hasn't been silent. He's told us how to live. He's given us commands. The greatest two commandments that he's given us is to love him and to love our neighbor. And I don't have to think long before I see how I've broken both of those commands often. So we learned to pray two or three weeks ago, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we learned that a kingdom is very, very different from a country. Okay, in our country, we have checks and balances. There's nobody with total, absolute, complete, supreme, unchecked power and authority. But in a kingdom, what the kingdom, what the king says, it goes. And all violators of the king's word would be punished. But I want to tell you in God's kingdom, the king is very merciful. You all are king, the king. The king of all kings is very, very forgiving and very, very merciful. So I will speak greatly to the seriousness of the commands of the king. And I will speak and make make the punishment that he brings. I want to show you its greatness and its severity. 
But when I speak of the greatness of that, and if it sounds harsh, I want you to also hear me talk about how great His mercy is. How great His forgiveness is. How incredibly perfect and beautiful He is in how He deals with broken people. So this prayer today, it's only four verses. This is a smaller size passage than what we usually deal with. The basic setup is in verses 12 and 13. Jesus finishes the prayer that he started back, I believe it was in verse 9, when he says, Our Father. So with verse 13, he finishes the prayer. And then we get to verse 14 and 15. Jesus tells us something that he wants us to keep in mind while we pray. He tells us something that we need to remember if we are going to pray well. He tells us something that he expects from all of his people. So verse 12. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So for the Jewish people, they had some, and Jesus was a Jew, and the people he came for at this time primarily were Jews. For the Jewish people, they already prayed, God forgive us. That was, you know, they had these same prayers they would do over and over again. It was much more of a ritual than what we have in our life today and in our walk with God. But they said, God, forgive us of our sin. But this verse, verse 12, when Jesus taught him, them how to pray, there was a thought introduced here that is not on record anywhere else ever prior to this. This is the first time in prayer, that it was said that we would be forgiving to others. That's a new thought for the person hearing Jesus pray. Yeah, God, I want you to forgive me. Oh, okay, you know, all of a sudden there's this expectation that the mercy that comes down from heaven to us is also to flow through us to others. So we have the word debts in this passage in verse 12 verse 13 and 14 we have the word trespass in Luke chapter 11 Jesus tells this gives the same teaching and he doesn't use the word debt he doesn't use the word trespass but he says forgive us our sin as we forgive those who sin against us which is it I'll say very simply very quickly it is all of them a debt helps us understand sin a debt is something that you owe okay if I have offended God or violated his command, then there's something that must be brought to him. There's something that must be paid for the punishment to be removed. But also trespass. I want to tell you, God has drawn a line in the sand and those are his commands. And he says, don't you dare cross that line. But you've crossed it just like I have, haven't you? So a trespass is when we cross that line. When we break when we disregard the clear instruction that God has given. So in this passage, there's a vertical element between us and God, but then there's this horizontal element between you and the person sitting beside you or you and the people that live in your house. There's this horizontal element between you and your neighbor and you and your coworker. You all, we can't pray this prayer in verse 12 if we are a people who constantly walk in unforgiveness. We cannot pray this prayer if we are constantly 
holding things against other people. Now, when I say that, I, I, I'm not bringing condemnation upon you if you, or I, I'm not, my, when I say that, I'm not trying to get you to be super afraid if every once in a while you have a momentary struggle with forgiving somebody. But what Jesus is warning us against in this passage is not that so much, but it's when we live a lifestyle of holding on to just about everything. That's what Jesus is warning against. I told the folks at my table that this week something came up, an offense that I learned about a few years ago, but that had happened many decades ago, and something was brought up, and for just less than 10 seconds, I started getting really upset again. And I had to let that thing go again. It tried to grab hold of me again. And I had to say no. As I consider the mercy that God has given me, as I consider the word that we have here, we have to give that to others. Now, Jesus said, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. If we are walking towards people in unforgiveness and we tried to pray something like this, it would sound a little bit like this. Forgive me of my sin as I hold everyone else accountable and make them pay for everything that they ever did to me. Lord, grant me mercy for all the bad things I've done while I don't offer it to others and hold it all to myself. Now, we'd never pray that out loud, would we? But if you like to hold on to things, if you like to place yourself as someone's judge, if that is something you enjoy and then you want to pray God's forgiveness, then you might as well be praying something as stupid as what I just read to you. So, if we're going to pray and be transparent and real before God, if we're going to expect Him to take our sin away, and to cast it aside and not to look at it anymore, dwell on it, then that's what we must do for others. So forgiveness. Let's talk about some definitions. It has to do with sending something away. Okay. You know, a few years ago, I sent that thing away. This week, it tried to come back into port and, and dock and make itself home in my soul, and I had to send it away again. And I honestly, I haven't thought about it until this morning. Forgiveness has to do with giving something up and keeping it no longer. Forgiveness has to do with releasing from judgment. Y'all, it's really easy to try to be the judge, isn't it? And there are times when God wants us to judge. Hear me say that. I've preached on that at other times. I'm not going there today. But there is a, when, when we try to make people pay, when we try to take that place that only God can take in their life, when we try to put ourselves on the throne or hold that gavel and swing that thing, we got to throw that gavel in the bonfire and let it burn up and not try to make another. 
To forgive has to do with giving up the right to get even. I feel like doing this to you, but that is not my job, and I am not going to harm you. So what are the horizontal implications of forgiveness? Let's consider Jesus Christ on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. I'm guessing all the people that did bad things to him that week didn't hear him say that. Can you go there with me? Can we assume that? He probably said it under his breath. Probably people super close to him couldn't hear that. But I guarantee you his father in heaven heard him say that. Taking that example, having that in our mind. You all, sometimes we have to forgive others even when they don't realize that they've done anything wrong. You know, in my house, as we've trained our children to forgive each other quickly, you know, we have a two-year-old version of it that's different from the eight-year-old version of it. But for those really early ages, you know, we, we want our kids to say, I forgive you for what you did. We want them, when there's an offense, we have them get face-to-face with one another. And, and, and that's just how we train our children in early life to think through this stuff. But for me at my age... Sometimes I got to forgive people without ever telling them that they did anything wrong to me. And it takes wisdom to know when that needs to be done and when it doesn't need, when you need to tell them and when you don't. So another one of the horizontal implications of this. We need to realize that if we don't forgive others, then we're attached to them. Okay? You ever been fishing with someone? And they cast that thing and that hook gets you and you get tugged a little bit. You know, I've seen videos of it, but I've never actually seen it happen. I have got a hook stuck in my own hand before. And I, I you know, when I when it first went in, it pulled me a little bit. Right. Well, unforgiveness is like a hook. Whatever they do, it affects you. Is there someone in your life who has wronged you in the past? And when you see them at Thanksgiving dinner, maybe it's the only time you see them all throughout the year. When you see them, it's just like you're boiling inside. And maybe they say something that reminds you of whatever it was that they did many years ago. And it's like, hmm, and you see, you know, but you can't just let it go because you've never let it go before. Okay, I'll tell you the first time you let something go, that's usually the hardest time, and it gets easier after that. Imagine at Thanksgiving dinner, someone says something, and you realize, man, I've been upset about this. They own this. It's like they have this little piece of property in my heart. And it's not mine, and it's not God's, but it's theirs. Because of what they did, they built a little house, they propped it right up there, and I always have to drive On the other street, because I don't want to go through that part of town and be reminded of what they've done. That unforgiveness serves as a hook. It's gotcha, doesn't it? That person will always be able to control you and you can't escape if you hold on to the thing that they've done. Now let me say this. We also have this phrase, and I know it came up at my table and another table, forgive and forget. Now, it depends on what you mean by forget. And I can't go down this road too far today. But for some people, to forgive and forget is not okay. But for other people, to forgive and forget is okay. If you forgive, 
and forget, but you're constantly mad at them, then it means you haven't forgiven them. But if you forgive and you remember enough to know that you can't trust that person very much at all, and you're not going to try to have the same type of relationship that you did before, then that's different. That's okay. So forgive and forget might be okay, but forgive and forget might not be okay. It just depends on what you mean by these things. As we think about forgiveness, we need to realize that whenever we forgive, God's kingdom is present because that's what the king does. We're praying, God, make your kingdom come. And so when the king forgives us and then we forgive others, we're acting like the king and we're being obedient to the king. And we know that whenever the king is obeyed, there is the kingdom. And do you remember that God's kingdom transgresses or uh, I'm sorry, it crosses all the political boundaries on the planet? So when you forgive, you bring God's kingdom into that place. So those are some of the horizontal implications from person to person. Let's think about the vertical implications between us and God. Maybe you don't think, maybe you're here today and you don't think that God needs to forgive you. Maybe you think that, well, you know, I haven't really done anything wrong. I want to tell you, just as people have wronged you and just as you have wronged other people, I want to tell you that we have all wronged God. We have all offended God. Just as you have standards for right and wrong, God has his own. And God's standard is perfect every single time. And we know that all of us have violated his standard. Therefore, we all have offended God and we all need to pray this prayer. Father, forgive us. God, take our sin away. When we cross When we disobey God, his forgiveness is necessary. So this prayer in verse 12, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. It has to do with past sin. It has to do with present sin. In verse 13, it helps me. the The difference, I think, is really looking towards the future. Whereas verse 12 is about the here and now and the past. Verse 13 has to do with tomorrow and next year and 10 years from now. Look at what it says. Lead us not into temptation. So James chapter 1 tells us that God doesn't tempt anyone to do evil, but that each person is tempted when he is lured away and enticed by his own fleshly lust and sinful nature that we all have. Well, I'm going to tell you that the word temptation, as Jesus uses it, is much more than just temptation. When you go back to the original language, it's very clearly it has to do most it has to do primarily with a test or trial. It has to do with difficulty that we face. Think about Abraham. We learned we went through his whole life last year, it took seven or eight months to do it. God tested Abraham when he told Abraham to go and sacrifice your son. God did not tell Abraham to do an evil thing. That would have been temptation, as we define it today. But God tested him. God told him to obey. 
And you all, Abraham passed the test, didn't he? The knife was drawn. He was going to offer his son as the sacrifice. And right before he did it, God said, stop. And God said, now I know that you fear God. God puts us into tests. He puts us into trials. He wants to see. Does he know? Yeah, he does. But he wants to see it. He wants things to take, out, take place in real time. He wants us to make the decision. There's an emphasis on our choice and our will and what we decide to do in our life. What's the difference between testing and trial and temptation? Well, think about Jesus. Right after he was baptized, what did the Holy Spirit do? Took him out into the desert, right? And what happened in the desert? Well, it was to be a trial. It was to be a test. But who was it that actually tempted Jesus in the desert? Did God tell him to do something evil? No. That was Satan. Satan did that. So, if we were only looking at the first line of verse 13, it, it would be confusing as to trying to figure out, like, what in the world does this mean? But when we look at the second line of verse 13, we learn more about what it means, lead us not into temptation. So, verse 13, all together, says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I want to tell you all that God is in the deliverance business. God is in the deliverance business. And I'm so glad that he is. God, if you're familiar with your Bible stories, you know God delivered um, Israel from slavery in Egypt, right? We know in the book of Daniel, there were three guys named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, and they told the king who was about to punish them. They said, our God we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. They knew their God and the most powerful man on the planet was about to throw them in a fiery furnace and burn them to a crisp. And they said, my God will deliver me from you if he so chooses. Remember the story of David and Goliath, little guy, big guy. And, and David said this about Goliath right before he killed him. He said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear. He was a shepherd, so he had to face these bears and lions from time to time. The God who delivered me from these things will deliver me from the hand of Goliath. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, the Bible says, The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. If you belong to God, He knows how to rescue you. At just the right time. I want to tell you that. So when you pray, uh, um, Lord, lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's what you're praying. God, deliver me from these trials at just the right time. Two more verses about deliverance. God has already delivered us from sin. He has already offered. Remember I told you that if you sin against God, you owe a debt to God. What I didn't tell you is that you don't have enough money to pay that debt off. Okay? You don't have what is necessary to take that debt away. But Jesus put down his life. And that's all that was needed to pay your debt. So God, through Jesus, has already delivered us from sin. Colossians 1.13, it says that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. And then 2 Corinthians 1, it says he will continue to deliver us. Paul writes that God has delivered us from peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope 
that he will deliver us again. So we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, because we realize that there are other people who, in this world who want to harm us, and God is the only one who will orchestrate our protection. He is the only one who can, who can make that happen. You all, when something or someone is delivered, it changes hands from one to another, right? Is, is Mr. FedEx coming to your house sitting right now? Okay. You know, we got a big family, Mr. FedEx and Mr. UPS and even the Mrs. USPS. They, they all come quite a bit. And, and, and we know them all by name. We even got all three of them little tiny Christmas gifts that we're going to give them to them when we see them in the next few days. But those delivery people, they have something in their possession and they put it into our possession. And it's no longer in theirs, right? And that's what God does. When he delivers us from evil, the evil one thinks he has his hands on us. And God shows him, no, I've got my child right here. He does not belong to you. She does not belong to me. She belongs, I mean, she does not belong to you. She belongs to me. I've got her. And you are not going to get away with this. So then we get to the last two verses of our passage today. And I'll tell you, you know, the prayer's over. Verse 13 is the end of this prayer. Verse 14 and 15, Jesus wants us to understand something. It's very important if we're going to pray this, and I've already touched on it. And these words seem a little bit harsh at first. But Jesus says... For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. These verses serve as a teaching to help us better understand the prayer that we found in verse 12 that says, Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. These verses show us That if we can't walk in mercy towards others, we should not expect mercy from our God. Here's the flip side of that coin. If you have received the mercy of God, and you have some level of understanding of it, and let me tell you, if you have received it, you do understand it to some degree, even if it's just a little bit. But you experiencing the mercy of God will automatically make you more merciful to others. It doesn't mean that you won't ever struggle with unforgiveness again. But the biggest way to know that your sins have been forgiven is to think back. Has there been a change in me and how I'm merciful to others? Now, that doesn't mean, like I just said a moment ago, That doesn't mean that it's easy to forgive everyone, okay? If you have a hard time forgiving people today, that doesn't necessarily mean that Jesus in these two verses is saying you're on your way to hell because you struggle with forgiving people. But I want to tell you what Jesus has in mind in this passage has to do, you know, know, just look back on your life. Was there a change? Was there a time When God poured his mercy out on you and then you noticed something happened after that as far as how you relate and connect to those who offend you and to those who upset you. When I look into these verses, 
You know, Jesus is saying, if you constantly have a problem with other people, if there are things that are constantly not right between you and your neighbors, there is a good chance that things are not right between you and God. We also see that forgiveness is not a one-way street. Like all of God's gifts, God's gift of forgiveness comes with responsibility. And you all, it must be passed on. We got a lot of kids in this church, and every kid in this church has other kids living with them at home, don't they? Kids, y'all got to forgive each other quick. Husbands and wives, doesn't that person that you married a long time ago sometime upset you to no end? You ever just want to just let every dirty word in your mind come out of your mouth and just come straight to them? Forgiveness is necessary, isn't it? And to make marriage work, you give forgiveness and you receive forgiveness. And you do that over and over and over again. Then tomorrow, you get up and do the same thing over again. Next week, nothing changes. And some of y'all have been married... Longer than I've been alive. And you're still, I I assume, that it works the same way then. You forgive, and you forgive, and you forgive again. I want to issue a caution. As you read these verses, I don't want you to think that Jesus wants us to live our life in paranoia, constantly trying to figure out if we have forgiven everyone that needs to be forgiven because we're so worried that if we've forgotten one thing, that God's not going to forgive us and we're going to go to hell forever. Don't live your life trying to find that little speck of dust in your soul. Because you're going to drive yourself crazy to no end trying to find it. If it's there, your God will show you that it's there. But what we are to do is to forgive and to let go of all the things that we're aware of. And as things happen, as the years go by, just continue to pour that mercy out. So if you're here today and you struggle with forgiving others, if you find yourself constantly holding on to things, then there are two things I want you to do. I want you to gaze into the mercy of God. I want you to read your Bibles to open that thing up and read it every chance you get. And as you do that, God is going to be talking to you. Second thing, test yourself. Examine your life. Think back over the years since you've become a Christian or since you thought you've become a Christian and ask yourself, has there been a significant change in the direction that I'm taking? If, if you can think of a particular point or a particular season in the past where, you know what, yeah, I, the, the general direction, the general trajectory shifted. I was going down a wide path, now I'm going down a narrow path. I used to think I could do anything I wanted to, but now I've realized that i got to follow God and that's what I'm trying to do. Ask yourself those questions. 
Ask yourself, you know, look back, examine yourself. And as you do these two things, as you gaze into the gospel and his mercy, and as you examine your life, one of two things will happen. First, you may find that you are a Christian and that your view of God's mercy isn't quite sufficient enough. You may see, yeah, I know God's forgiven me, but you don't realize how great his forgiveness is. And then as you read the word of God, God's forgiving power in your life is just going to just grow up and blow up and just be at the forefront of your mind. And as you do that, he's radically going to transform how you treat other people. You may find that you are a Christian and you think way too highly of yourself. You say, yeah, God needed to forgive me, but I really wasn't that bad. Oh, yes, you were. (laughs) Yes, you were. Yeah, you weren't as bad as some people. I get that. But you had broken the law of God and offended an infinitely perfect, holy God who is just and righteous in every single way. Oh, yeah, you were bad. You were a criminal in God's courtroom And you should be in hell right now were it not for his mercy. So some of us just don't realize how bad we were. I've been a Christian for about 25, 26 years now. And it it, it just seems like every year or two that goes by, I just realize more and more about how sick and disgusting I am apart from God. And just when I think it couldn't get worse, next week it does. (laughs) Okay? And I believe that that will be your experience if you're paying attention to what it is that God is saying. So, so as you gaze into the gospel, as you test yourself, you may realize, yes, I am a Christian. Secondly, you might realize you aren't a Christian. You might realize, you know what, I went to that summer camp a long time ago. Or, you know what, I realized that I couldn't continue to do that one thing that I used to a long time ago and I stopped that one thing. And and that's good. That's great. You'll be a lot better off because of it. But just because you're not a drunk anymore doesn't mean you're a Christian. Just because you don't lie, cheat, and steal all the time, that doesn't mean you're a Christian. It just means you shut down sin in that one area of your life, which a lot of people do. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. You know, we can do a lot of good things and that doesn't make us a Christian. We can clean up our life in a lot of significant ways that doesn't make make us a Christian. Do we love Jesus? Have we surrendered our life to him? Do we want the king to really be the king? Or do we want to just act like he's the king at certain times of the week while we sit on the throne the rest of the week? Church, we got to examine ourselves. And if you fail to meet the test, then run to Jesus. If you didn't repent the last time, that you thought you did, if you thought you just had to say a prayer, or if you thought you just had to ask him to forgive you and you didn't realize he wanted you to repent and make him the king and you not be the king anymore, 
then it's just time to make that transition. It's time to say, Lord Jesus, I thought I was following you and now I realize that I wasn't. I was mistaken. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry. I want you to be the king. So I ask you today, as you think about these verses, as you think about the sin in our world, as you think about the sin in your life, as you think about the mercy you give to others, where are you at? What do you need to do? Are you struggling with unforgiveness towards someone? Do you need, God, do you need to stop holding on to something? Do you need to forgive? Do you need to forgive again? Do you need forgiveness? Has God forgiven you of your sin? Have you been a good church-going person, but have never become a Christian? Or maybe this is your first time ever coming to church. And you're like, this is all new stuff. Well, I want to ask you, would you become a Christian? Would you make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? Would you receive His forgiveness so that He would take away your sin and cover all the evil that you have done? Or are you here today and you need to evaluate your life? If you do, I can help you do that if you want me to. And there's others that can help you do that too. Something that we all have to do from time to time. Don't take what you've heard me say today and just be like, I'm going to do that some other time. But these are the words of Jesus. This is what he's commanded us to do. And He wants to deliver us from the evil in our life. But we've got to say yes, Lord. So church, let's do that together.